Hi, I'm Dan Primack. Welcome to a special weekend edition of Axios Recap, tied to an Axios deep dive on the Federal Reserve. This episode is sponsored by the Northern Trust Institute. Our goal over the next 15 minutes is to explain what the Fed does and why it matters more than ever. A few things to know. First, the Fed deals with monetary policy, whereas Congress and the president deal with fiscal policy. Or put another way, the Fed's decisions are mostly about things like money and credit, whereas elected officials make laws about taxes and spending. Two, that bright line between monetary and fiscal policy has been dimming, particularly as the Fed and Treasury Department have worked together to curtail the pandemic's economic impact. Plus, the Fed, currently led by Chairman Jay Powell, has begun addressing less traditional areas like climate change and racial inequality. Third, and this is the most important, Fed policy over the past year has been credited and criticized for the massive run-up in asset values from stocks to housing to everything in between. In other words, the Fed is the answer to how could stocks keep going up if the economy has so many problems. So in 15 seconds, we will dig into all things Fed, its recent leadership, and how its influence could evolve with Axios business reporters Felix Salmon and Courtney Brown. But first, this. We're joined now by Axios's Felix Salmon and Courtney Brown. Felix, let's start with you and the most simple question. What is the Fed designed to do? The Fed is designed to do two things. It has two mandates. One is to keep prices under control, stop inflation from ravaging the economy. And number two is to help the economy get to what's known as full employment. Anyone who wants a job can get a job. And it doesn't have a massive toolbox to get those two things, but it does control the money supply, which is pretty big. So it uses that. It uses its ability to set interest rates to try and get those two boxes ticked. And I know, Felix, that you're a bit of a kind of history buff, at least when it kind of comes to the Fed. You know, over the last couple of decades, is it something that has become more important, more central to the U.S. economy? I would actually probably say less Inflation hasn't really been a problem. And so long as inflation isn't really a problem, the Fed's job is basically keep rates more or less low, make sure inflation doesn't start picking up again. It's done that pretty well, but it's had less of a sort of activist role in the economy. And then the other thing it does is that when there's a crisis, like in 2009 or in 2020, the Fed can come in and try and be a sort of firefighter in the event of a crisis. All right. So firefighter in event of a crisis. But Courtney, go back uh, 12, 13 years to the kind of Alan Greenspan Fed. Greenspan was obviously chairman shortly before the financial crisis, the housing bubble, et cetera. There are some who have argued over time the Fed has helped create bubbles that have then popped and, and then caused economic problems. Right. Yeah. I think that kind of easy money, low interest rates has been the source of a lot of asset bubbles, but certainly not all. And this is a question that the current Fed chair Jerome Powell gets almost every time he makes a public appearance is what the Fed has done over the course of the past year, inflated asset prices, stock prices. And is it the Fed's fault? And when the bubbles, when the bubble pops, will the Fed be to blame? The last Fed press conference, what Powell said was that he doesn't think that easy money policy is responsible for the rapid rise in stock market prices. He actually blamed it on the fact that there are these expectations about the vaccine rollout. You know, there is a bunch of fiscal stimulus coming online. And he pointed to those two things for the reason why the stock market has done what it's done. 
I want to jump in here and say it is entirely reasonable to think that it might be monetary policy. If you go back to history, if you go back to like from the 1720s onwards, there are many, many, many points in history where easy money caused asset price bubbles. This happens all the time. It makes logical sense that it would. And yeah, you can blame easy money for the dot-com bubble, for the housing bubble, for the you know, name your bubble, it was probably associated with loose monetary policy. That doesn't necessarily mean it's a central bank failure. Alan Greenspan was adamant, and most central bankers have historically agreed with him, that it's not actually the job of central banks to prevent bubbles. They're hard to identify at the time. And the, his job is to do what I was just talking about in terms of inflation and full employment. If there is a bubble, there is a bubble. If the bubble crashes, then the Fed can come in and try and clean up the mess. But to try and give the Fed a third mandate of pre preventing asset price bubbles on top of the two existing mandates is a bit much, really. It's hard enough to even do two, let alone three. Let me ask you then, Courtney, because you know, when you heard Jay Powell say that, when you heard him kind of for lack of a term, blaming others for what's happening currently in the stock markets. But again, it's not just the stock markets, it's the housing market. It's kind of everywhere. You know, assets overall are getting much more expensive and have been, you know, outside of March of last year, the beginning of the pandemic. Do you believe he's right? Or do you believe that Fed monetary policy right now, particularly low rates, is largely driving these price increases? Well, as Felix just said, um, when Jerome Powell says those types of things, history is not on his side. Like history has shown, as Felix just said, that easy monetary policy has been a source of asset bubbles in the past. So when Powell says something like this and tries to deflect blame, you know, I don't want to say he's laughed out of the room, but, you know, he gets a ton of pushback on that point. People don't necessarily believe him. And why they don't believe him? Because we've seen what's happened in the past. Let's say that Powell came out tomorrow and said, you know what, you're probably right. The Fed probably did help inflate the asset price bubble that we're seeing right now. So what of it? If he came out, if, if he admitted that the stock market and the monetary policy were connected in that way, what then should he do about it? Isn't his mandate still to concentrate on getting America back to work rather than worrying about the stock market? Yeah, I love this question because I think Powell has made it clear that there are certain trade-offs that come with essentially doing what he did, which is sweeping in and save an economy that was, you know, was feared to crumble at the onset of the pandemic. And so if this is a side effect of that, I think he would say that, you know, what he's done doesn't make it any less worthy. The fact that there has been this side effect of what potentially could be a bubble, I don't think that undoes the big moves that the Fed has done to try to fulfill their mandate of stable prices and employment and to just save the economy, you know? When you say save the economy, can you help folks understand, you know, the, going back to the 1950s, there's supposed to be a separation of monetary policy, which, which is the Fed's job, and fiscal policy, taxes, spending, et cetera. That's the job of the Treasury and, and Congress, et cetera. What is the relationship right now between fiscal and monetary policy? Because if the Fed, as you say, is coming in to save the economy, that's also what Treasury was doing last year with the stimulus. At, at this point, aren't they effectively working hand in glove? Absolutely. And if you look at what happened in the immediate aftermath of the crisis in the spring of 2020, you had Steve Mnuchin, who was the Treasury Secretary, and Jay Powell in charge of the Fed, meeting every day, coming up with programs together. Treasury would backstop Fed programs. And you saw the same thing during the financial crisis with Bernanke working with Geithner. 
that kind of thing. Um, when there's a crisis and you're trying to turn the economy around and stop the economy from imploding, it's all hands on deck and everyone absolutely works together. Courtney, there was a lot of concern during the Trump administration that the Fed was getting, quote, politicized, uh, namely because Trump would regularly tweet and, and angrily about Powell, that rates were too high or, or whatever. Trump's been out of office now for about three months. Was the Fed politicized? I don't think we have proof to say whether or not the Fed has been politicized. I think there were certain moments where we came close. Uh, I think economists would say the nomination of Judy Shelton, who is in essence a political figure, was a Trump campaign advisor. She got very close to coming on the Fed, but it didn't happen. I think that is the closest thing that we can point to to say the Fed has been politicized. Have you seen any change to Powell since Biden has been president compared to how he at least spoke during his press conferences when Trump was there? Powell's like a hard dude to read. I mean, I hate to say that so colloquially, but I mean, it's true. I don't think he's different from other Fed chairs in that sense. I mean, throughout his tenure, he's been a very plain spoken guy, keeps his cards close to his chest. Um, Felix, what do you think? There was a fantastic quote from Alan Greenspan once when he was giving testimony in front of Congress, and I can't remember the exact words, but he basically said, if you think you understand what I just said, you haven't been paying attention. Greenspan really tried to sort of obfuscate and not really talk very much. And since then, there has been a long trend towards greater transparency from the Fed. The Fed now actually bothers to tell us what its interest rate decisions were. It wasn't all that long ago when those interest rate decisions were kept secret and you had to just kind of watch the markets to try and work out where interest rates were to guess what the Fed was trying to do. Um, the Fed is now telling us what it's going to do in the future, this thing called forward guidance. And I would say that Powell is probably the most, as, as Courtney said, probably the most plain spoken Fed chair we've had in as long as I can remember. He says what he thinks. He's careful about what he says. But I do think that we are in a world of unprecedented transparency, to be honest, from the central bank, certainly compared to some of his predecessors. You know, Felix, at the beginning of this, you talked about the two primary mandates to the Fed. One of the things that I found most interesting about the deep dive that got published today, though, was a piece, Courtney, that you wrote talking about how the Fed is intentionally, explicitly expanding its mandate, or at least arguably expanding its mandate, areas like climate change, uh, issues like racial inequality. Can you talk a little bit about what the Fed is doing and why the Fed is doing it? Yeah, this has been a really exciting thing to watch. And by the way, you know, the Fed has started talking about climate change and, and race as far back as 2019, when Trump was still in office. And I say that to say that there are people who may say that now the Fed is coming out and being more aggressive in its studies on the impact of climate change on the economy because Trump is no longer in office. But that's actually not true. I broke the story that the Fed was planning to hold its first ever research conference on climate change back when Trump was still in office. So I don't necessarily think that those two things are related. And what's interesting to me is that what the Fed is doing, if you're looking at it from the outside, it seems like very small potatoes, right? I mean, racism has been a problem in this country since its founding. How many years have we talked about climate change as a risk to the economy? And what the Fed is doing now is just studying the effect of climate change and thinking about how to wrap that into how it stress tests banks. And on the race front, it's finally thinking about the way that it considers full employment, like not just looking at the broad unemployment figure, looking 
looking at like Black unemployment or Hispanic unemployment and using that to guide whether or not they want to pull back on whenever this time may come easy, their easy money policies. Felix, those two initiatives, from your perspective, do they fit within the Fed mandate? Absolutely. 100%. The biggest risk to a full employment economy is climate change. The second biggest risk to a full employment economy is systemic racism, which basically prevents a huge segment of the population from being able to get jobs before it's too late and the Fed starts raising rates again. These are absolutely core worries within the existing mandates. They're they're not like a separate thing like the prospect of a stock market bubble. And I, I do want to mention that worrying about a stock market bubble is the classic sort of first world problem. Like, oh no, people are getting rich. It's like, it's genuinely something that people can worry about, but it's so much less important than the core mandates of the Fed. Final question for each of you. Very simply, for an average, ordinary American, not a trader, not a private equity executive or CEO, what's the one thing they should care about when it comes to the Fed? What the ordinary person, someone who's not a trader, should understand is that the Fed is kind of thought of as this like amorphous thing. And I think what's been really interesting to watch is to see someone like Jerome Powell come out and make comments on income inequality, which by the way, the Fed has been accused that its policies have aggravated income inequality, to see him kind of you know, before the pandemic hit, the Fed was essentially doing a countrywide tour, going to towns across the nation and sitting down with members of the community and asking them what they need and trying to speak to them about the way that monetary policy trickles down to their day-to-day lives. I think that's a really, really interesting thing to watch. And whether or not Powell stays on when his term is up, whether Biden taps him again or whether Biden taps someone else, it's going to be interesting to see whether that trend continues under, you know, a different, a potentially different leadership. I I think it's certain to continue. I think that for decades, the Fed has done a very good job of listening to rich people, basically local businesses, business owners, and they've done a much less good job of listening to actual workers. And this is a way of helping to address that imbalance. The one thing ordinary Americans should care about is central bank independence, which is something that the central banks across the world have had for a few decades. Back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, when central banks would do what the government told them to do, which was nearly always cut rates and flood the economy with money, that didn't work so well. So I think that any politicization of central banks is a bad thing. But the good news is I don't see that happening. I really don't. Felix Salmon, who writes the weekly Axios Capital newsletter, and Courtney Brown, who writes the daily Axios Closer newsletter. You can get them both at signup.axios.com. Thank you both for joining us. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Dan. If you're interested in learning more about the Federal Reserve and why it matters, which I assume you are because you're still listening, please be sure to check out our special deep dive, now available at axios.com. It includes stories from Courtney and Felix and me and Axios Markets author Dion Rubowin. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers, Naomi Shaven, and Alex Sugiara. Have a great national chocolate mousse day. And we'll be back Monday with another Axios Recap. Hold up. 